Colossians chapter 3. If uh, you don't have your own copy of God's Word with you and you don't like using an app on your phone, uh, you can feel free to grab that Bible that's in the rack right in front of you and turn to page 984. Uh, That's where you will find our passage this morning, Colossians chapter 3. And if you are a guest with us, uh, maybe you're checking us out online, uh, we want you to know right from the start Uh, that we believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God, inerrant in the original manuscript, sovereignly preserved for us through the generations, so that through the reading of this book and the illumination of His Spirit, we can know God, and and we can love Him, and we can follow Him, and we can worship Him, and we can represent Him. And, And we believe so much in the sufficiency of Scripture that we don't think that what I have to say today matters at all unless... It agrees with what God has said in his word. We want to collectively be a church that believes it doesn't matter what I think. What matters is what the Bible says. It's what the Bible says. That's why we're here today, to see God's word for ourselves uh, from Colossians chapter 3. As a reminder, I can always get this wrong, uh, but God's word always gets it right. And, and we're going through Paul's letter Uh, that he wrote to the church that was in the city of Colossae for for this purpose, that we would see the supremacy and the centrality of Christ in everything. The words of that song that we just sang, we we want to see uh, throughout this book because that's why it was written. We want to see the supremacy and centrality of Christ in everything, including our own lives. Because unless and until Jesus is at the center of our hearts and our minds and our affections, Nothing else will make sense. Uh, Until he is who we value the most, we won't value other things correctly. We we need to be so filled with Jesus that there isn't room for anything else. Because in our brokenness, the Bible does not point us to a program. And and it doesn't point us to a system. It, It points us to a person. And his name is Jesus He's the one that you need, and when you really find him, you don't need to search anywhere else because he is the treasure who contains all the treasure. And this is what keeps us safe from false teaching or from temptation that tries to imply, this is the message that you get out in the world, the message is Jesus is insufficient. He's not enough. And, and so you need to add other stuff to him or rely on something other than him. You need to go other places for fulfillment. You need to go other places for satisfaction. And, and we want to, when we hear that, when we see that, we want to say, no, no, no. If it's not of or from or found in Christ, I don't need it and I don't want it. Everything I need is in Christ and Christ alone. And, and I have loved that Colossians gives us the opportunity to explore all of the ramifications for truly finding our identity in Christ. And I hope that this has been helpful to you and encouraging to you and challenging to you. Uh, so far, just in chapter 3, uh, we have seen that finding our identity in Christ changes our mentality. Our, our minds are, are not fixated on temporary earthly things. Because that's not where Christ is found, right? That's not where he is. We can seek and set our minds on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. There is a greater reality than what we experience in this temporary world. And it is Jesus who reigns on an eternal throne. And and that mindset, being heavenly minded, doesn't lead us to being no earthly good. No, on the contrary, being heavenly minded is what enables us to do earthly good. 
Because Jesus enables us to do earthly good. And because our lives are hidden with Christ in God, last week we saw that we should be motivated to have an out with the old and in with the new mentality and lifestyle. Out with the old, in in with the new, in our mentality and our lifestyle. So, So this is the position and progression of our salvation. Position, we have been raised with Christ. Progression, we seek the things that are above. Position, we have died to our earthly way of life. Progression, we put to death what is earthly in us. Because Christianity is about becoming who we already are in Christ. And and so I I trust that you have been motivated to to kill sin in your life this week. As dramatic as that sounds, that's what the Bible calls us to. We're killing sin. Anything that we think, say, or do that is not in submission to the authority of Christ, we, we kill what would have separated us from God forever. Not because we're earning something from God, Right? Not, not because we're trying to add to our resume, padding our own stats, no, 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 but because that's not who we are anymore. That, that's, that's the old self. That's what we've been set free from. We are in Christ. Why would we be defeated by what Jesus has already defeated? We, we get to fight. When we fight the battle against sin, we are fighting the battle that Jesus has already won through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the best kind of battle to fight, right? The outcome is already guaranteed. Jesus has won that for us at the cross. Now, if you heard just last week's message, or passages like it, you could be left with the impression that Christianity is all about what we don't do. And if we're honest, that's the way a lot of people present Christianity, right? There's an emphasis placed on on we don't do this, and we don't do this, and we don't do this, and here's the list of all the things Christians don't do, and which is why they're no fun to be around, right? That's the way a lot of our world looks at Christianity, and the way that some people within church present Christianity, and, and there's this emphasis, right? It's an emphasis on what we are against, and, and not on what we are for, but Christianity is not just about what we put off, it is about what we put on. It's not about just about what we don't do, it is about what we do because of who we are in Christ. It's not just out with the old, it's also in with the new. And and we're going to spend a couple of weeks uh, thinking about this, Uh, just so you know, we're not going to get through this in the entire section uh, today. Uh, and, And if you are not a follower of Jesus yet, you're here today and you're trying to figure things out, you're trying to figure out what you believe, trying to figure out if you believe that the Bible is true. I just want you to know that this passage was written to followers of Jesus. It was written to a church, those that had placed their faith in Jesus. And, and so if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, this could be a preview for you of how God wants to transform your life when you place your faith in him instead of yourself. And so I'm so glad you're here, and I just want you to see what God's word says. And if you are a follower of Jesus, this passage is for you. It was written for 
followers of Jesus to talk about who they are in Christ and what they put on as a result of that. Because Christianity is not just about what we run away from. It's about who we are running toward. And so, and so we're going to start in verse 9, uh, which we talked about verses 9 through 11 last week. But we're going to get a running start uh, into this theme of in with the new that we find in verses 12 through 14. So here we go. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 9. Paul says, do not lie to one another. Why? Seeing that you have put off the old self. That's who you used to be. You have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Our our minds are being changed so that way we become more like Jesus. Here... In the new self, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free. But in the new self, Christ is all and in all. Amen? I mean, we just need to embrace this and just have this at the forefront of our minds all of the time. This is, this is everything in Christianity. Christ is all and in all. All and, and we're really taking the time to emphasize our new identity in Christ because if we don't know who we are, then we won't know who we are becoming. Because followers of Jesus aren't becoming something different from who we are. We, we are already in Christ, right? We're becoming something different than we were. But followers of Jesus are not becoming something different from who they are. We are in Christ. We are becoming who he has already made us to be. We are becoming, sanctification is becoming who Jesus has already made us to be. We are becoming like him. It's living out the identity that we have already been graciously given. So verse 10. We have put on the new self, which is characterized in verse 11, not by your ethnicity and not by your social status, but by Christ being all and in all. So so this is who we already are. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, then you are united with Christ. And one of the beautiful realities of the gospel, verse 11 is that it sets us free from finding our identity in relation to other people. Because without the good news of the gospel, uh, whether you are seen as an athlete is based on how athletic you are in comparison to the people around you, right? Your identity is based on how you are at something in comparison to others. So you're an athlete if you're more athletic than most of those around you, right? So you might be athletic in comparison to your high school, but probably not compared to an NFL football team, right? Sorry to break it to you, but there's just a limit to your athleticism. Take that up with your maker, not with me, right? So you you might be smart compared to your family, but maybe not compared to the graduating class of Harvard, you, you might be musical compared to the rest of the people who did karaoke that one night, right? But not in comparison to the people that do open mic at Juilliard, right? There's just different levels to this, and it's in comparison to those around you. This is one nice thing about still having young kids. They think I'm amazing at everything. 
because I'm better than them, <laughs> right? And they don't realize that they're just not that good at things yet. And so, I, of course, I look, my kids think I'm good at fixing things <laughs> because I'm better than they are at, at, at fixing things, right? It's a comparison. It's a comparison thing. But in the real world, right, in the real world, the comparison game doesn't usually work out in our favor, does it? In, in, the world, in the real world, there's always someone stronger, right? And there's always someone better looking and more talented and more successful. Finding your ultimate identity in relation to others leads in two directions and neither are good. Either it leads to pride or more likely it leads to depression and self-loathing, right? It's either, man, I am the best or I am the worst, right? That's what, that's what that does, Neither are good. But you know what is new about the new self that we have already put on through faith in the gospel? It's that the self is not all, but Christ is all. And that is such good news. And that is so freedom. That is so freeing. Yet not I, but through Christ in me, all is grace. It's not about me anymore. What's new about the new self is Christ is all instead of me being all. And, and man, you could just spend the rest of your day considering the ramifications of believing just that one line, that Christ is all and in all. If, if that is true, then we either exist for Jesus or we exist for nothing. If Christ is all and in all. It, either Christ is our purpose or our purpose has no eternal value. Either Jesus is our greatest reality or we have a distorted view of reality. This is why we never want to let Jesus get pushed into the background where he looks small. We, we don't want him to get swallowed up in, in, in other things. No, we want to get swallowed up in him. If you want to find me, you have to find Jesus because that's where I am. Right? We want to be less like ourselves and more like him because we've been united with Christ and Christ is all and in all. So this is who we are. We have been united with Christ. It changes our identity. It's no longer in relation to other people, but it's Christ. We are who he says that we are as the, verse, as the song says that we sang this morning. And Paul has one more truth to share about who we are before we get to who we become. And so look at the identity that Paul gives the Colossians in verse 12. It's fast, and so if you're not paying attention, you're going to miss it. Colossians 3.12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And we're going to stop right there and get to the rest of the verse in a minute. We have to think about the significance of this. Paul, Paul's never met this church face-to-face. -face. We talked about this in the beginning uh, of our series. Uh, if you were here for that, you might remember that the introduction of this letter served as Paul welcoming these new believers into the family of God. Right, so he heard the report uh, from, from the pastor that had planted that church, and then he writes this letter to them, and he welcomes them, calling them saints and faithful brothers in Christ, which is significant because these are not Jewish believers, these are Gentile believers. And now he says that these Gentile believers are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. 
Not because they were the cream of the crop. Paul never even met them. But because they were in Christ. And this is part of our identity in Christ. God's word says that we are selected and separated. Selected and separated. Chosen and holy. Uh, Paul calling Gentile believers God's chosen ones, it's pretty significant. Because that, that language should make you think of the Israelites. Maybe some of your minds were already going there, right? Because the Israelites were God's chosen people who were, by the way, called to be holy, which just means set apart. They were selected and separated. And if you think I'm going to remind you of the book of Exodus right now, you are absolutely correct because it just influences so much of the rest of the Bible. This is how God wants to be known and how he wants us to understand salvation, right? Because by the time we get to the book of Exodus, God had already selected Abraham's descendants to be made into a great nation, not because Abraham was perfect. The Bible is very honest about his failures. Abraham's family was chosen because of God's grace. Uh, You can't read Genesis and think that they deserved it at all. Their family's a mess, but God is gracious, right? And once we get to Exodus, Abraham's descendants are in Egypt, and they are multiplying, but they were slaves to the Egyptians, So what does God do? God dramatically delivers and draws them out of Egypt. He's separating them from other people and from other nations. He makes them holy because to be holy means to be set set apart for a specific purpose. And so God told them that he brought them out of Egypt so that, here's the purpose, so they could serve him. It's all throughout the book of Exodus. I brought you out of you so they can serve me. Let my people go so they can serve me. He was making them holy, setting them apart for a specific purpose. And then after he sets them apart, he says, be set apart. Be holy. Be different. He gives them the Ten Commandments and the Mosaic Law. And those commands were given on the basis of their identity. Uh, Look on the screen. I have Exodus 20, verses 1 through 3. This is the introduction to the Ten Commandments. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I have selected and separated you, therefore... You shall have no other gods before me. And then the rest of the Ten Commandments. So you have here their identity. You belong to me. Right? I am the Lord your God. Therefore, therefore, become who you are. That's what he's telling the Israelites. Become who I have made you to be. Our our life groups are going to talk about Deuteronomy 7.6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Now, does that mean that they were perfect? Does that mean that they, that they never sinned? No, Israel was a mess, but they had been set apart for the purpose of serving the Lord. They had been made holy. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. This is why the Israelites later asking for a human king like the other nations was so offensive to God. Because the Israelites were essentially saying, we don't want to be holy anymore. Right? We, we don't want to be distinct. We don't want to be set apart. We want to be like everyone else. 
but they weren't supposed to be like everyone else. That's the whole point. They, they weren't supposed to be normal. Normal leads to death, right? They had been selected and separated. And this same terminology and argument is being applied to Gentile believers in Colossae, and it can be applied to us as well. Paul says, you have been chosen by God. Right? We choose God because he chose us before the foundation of the world. We love him because he first loved us. You have been chosen. You have been made holy, so be holy. I think that's a logically consistent argument, don't you? Right? You have been made holy, so be holy. You aren't like the world anymore. Stop trying to be normal. Stop trying to fit in. Embrace your new identity in Christ. Let who you are determine who you are becoming. You have put on the new self. Therefore, put on then, you've already put on the new self, therefore, put on then as God's chosen one's identity, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Paul, Paul goes on from there in verses 15 through 17, and, and we'll see that next week. Uh, and so we have, past tense, put on the new self, which is no longer all about ourselves because Christ is all and in all. So, why, so while the list of vices that we are to put off, and we saw that last week, they are all self-absorbed, immorality, lust, anger, malice, slander, lying. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. The new self is Christ-absorbed. It's all about Jesus. It's all about what he wants. So, so don't see this list or any other list of characteristics in the Bible and think behavior modification, right? right? I, I, I need to be more kind, I need to be more patient, I need to be more meek, right? The Bible does not value behavior modification. The Bible values a transformation of our identity that leads to a transformation of our mind, character, and actions, a transformation of our identity that leads to a transformation of our mind, character, and action. Specifically, the mind of Christ, the character of Christ, and the actions of Christ. So the Bible doesn't want us to pretend to be like Jesus, like my three-year-old pretends to be a fireman. It's cute, but woefully inadequate and doesn't actually save anyone. Same thing. Don't pretend to be like Jesus. It might be cute, but it's inadequate, and it won't save you. It won't save you. And, and, and while the, the Bible wants us to be united to Christ, so we actually become like him. Do you see the difference? It wants us to be united with him. And while the old self destroys community, because sin, of course, separates, the new self is able to build it. Because of who we are, we become a loving community. A loving community, one that is defined by compassion and kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And of course, above all these things, verse 14, put on love because love is always presented as the superior characteristic. 
right? The greatest of these is love, 1 Corinthians. If we have the love of Christ, that will evidence itself in being compassionate and kind and humble and meek and patient. Love is what binds everything together. Love is what binds us as a community together in perfect harmony. Uh, now, let me clarify something I, th- I, I see as important. Paul is using an external image, but talking about an internal reality. So the picture is of putting off and putting on clothing. And and, and clothes are obviously external. It's what people see. Our, Our clothes are not in us. They are on us. But in case that gives you the impression that we are externally putting on these characteristics every morning, all you have to do is look at the very first one, and that clears it up, right? Put on a compassionate what? Heart. A heart of compassion. So it's an external word picture, but church, this is an internal reality. We are not wearing something that is just on us. No, it is in us. We are not pretending to be patient, uh, which, which is what a lot of us do, I think, uh, we try to take the shortcut and we just put the patient shirt on for the day as parents. And then our kids test us to see whether patience is just on us or if it is actually in us. Right? Thank God for kids that love to do that. Right? And so, uh, and so maybe we do okay for a while. But eventually, if, if, if that's just a shirt we're wearing, if patience is just on us but it's not in us, right? eventually they push the right buttons and we incredibly hawk that shirt, right? And we rip it off and what is in us comes out. What is still earthly in us comes out. This command to put on these characteristics is an internal change first that leads to an external change. And so while it is right, it is right to look at the externals in your life to see how you are doing. Just like you would examine fruit to see if the tree is healthy, right? That is the right thing to do. The remedy, if that fruit is not healthy, is not external change. It is an internal change. It is for Christ to be all and in all. Do we see that? Uh, The other observation I wanted to make uh, was that sometimes people talk about these characteristics like they are easy. Just be kind. Why can't we just get along? Huh? Just be kind. Just, just, just show a little love. It's not that hard, right? Just, just, just have a little compassion, right? And then other times, people talk about these characteristics like they are impossible. How am I supposed to be patient when they are doing that, right? Like, how am I supposed to love that person, right? And, and so which is it? Which is, is this easy or is this hard? If you are a follower of Jesus, these characteristics were unnatural for our old selves. But while they are not easy, we should see them as natural for our new selves because they are natural for Jesus. This is who God is, right? God is Love. God is kind and compassionate. It is impossible for Jesus to be anything other than all of these things. 
So, if we are not putting to death what is still earthly in us and putting on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, after the image of Jesus, then this command, yes, it does feel impossible. But if Christ is all and in all, then compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience should seem more and more natural the longer we follow Jesus. That's what I want to happen in your life. This is, not out, this is no longer outside of you. It was. It was not natural for you. But if Christ is in you, then these character qualities should become more and more natural for you. And isn't this the type of community that everyone's looking for? Like when you just see this list, especially if you compare it to the list that came last week, you're like, I think I know who I want to be around. Right? I, we, we gravitate towards kind people and away from angry people. We gravitate towards humble people and away from prideful people. We appreciate it when people show us patience instead of having a short fuse. And this is the community that the church is called to be. A gathering of believers where Christ is all and in all. Where we are rooting out the remnants of our old selves and putting on the new self. And we would just love it if we could just snap our fingers and make that happen instantaneously, but God's word is more realistic than that, which is why verse 13 is essential. What do we do when we fail to live out who Jesus is in us? Verse 13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So we are becoming a loving community and a forgiving community community. And hopefully you are seeing, as we go through this, and this becomes even more obvious next week, that if you find your identity in Christ, you will find community with other people. We can't follow Jesus in isolation because following Jesus will lead us into community with other believers, right? Because you can't one another yourself. And with that in mind, I would caution, because I think it's become popular to apply these characteristics just to ourselves, right? And so how common, you probably hear this all the time, right? Be kind to yourself, right? right? Be, uh, be pa- have patience with yourself. Love yourself. And let's be clear, the Bible certainly doesn't tell us to hate ourselves or to be mean to ourselves. It actually assumes that we love ourselves because it tells us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. It assumes that we love ourselves. It, it tells us to be outward focused, not inwardly focused. In humility, consider others more significant than ourselves. That's Philippians 2. So, so the transformation of Christ being all and putting on the new self should not just be a blessing to yourself. That's just what I wanted to clarify. This, you, it shouldn't be, I am so much kinder to myself now, and I have so much patience, and I love myself so much more now that I'm in Christ. Well, okay, okay, I, I'm glad that you love who you are in Christ more than who you used to be. That's good, but who Christ has made us to be is lived out in community. It should be a blessing to others. And I appreciate how honest God's word is because it doesn't present this new community that is the church as a gathering that's only characterized by love and humility and compassion and kindness. Now, if you have been a part of church for any length of time, you, you, you know that's not real life. Verse 13 is real life. Verse 13 is real life. What does it look like to be in community with one another? Well, a lot of times we're bearing with one another, aren't we? 
right? We're bearing with one another because sometimes people are annoying. I don't know if you guys have noticed that um, or if it's just me, right? Sometimes people are annoying. So what do we do? We, we, bear, with, we bear with one another. And, and, and it's not a sin issue. It just annoys us or people have different preferences or different personalities and we're from different cultures and different generations. And in order for community to be possible, we have to bear with each other. And even more significantly, at times, we have to forgive each other. And if our progress was as instantaneous as our position in Christ, this command would be unnecessary. Because you don't have to forgive someone for being like Jesus. And I don't have to apologize to my children for being patient with them. But verse 12 isn't how we always treat each other. And I just want you to have that warning. If you decide to be part of our church community, we're not always going to Colossians 3.12 each other well, which is why we need verse 13. Uh, it, it means that I will need forgiveness and, and you will need my forgiveness. And, and if you're wondering if there's any limits placed on how you forgive other people, Paul says that we forgive as the Lord has forgiven us, which is a lot. <laughs> In case you're, how much is that? It's a whole bunch. Okay, It's a lot. Uh, so what Paul is doing here, as we consider this community, this loving, forgiving community that he, we're called to, what does he do? He takes our minds to the cross, right? And, and why can we come to the Lord's table today and celebrate the communion that we have with God and with each other? It's because we are forgiven people. There would be no communion with God or with each other if it was dependent on what we bring to this table. We realize that? Nothing to do with us at all. The, nothing at that table right there represents your works. And that is such good news. It's in Christ alone that our hope is found. We get to celebrate communion today because Jesus, God himself, lived the perfect life that you and I should have lived. And then Jesus died the death that you and I deserve to die. He took the just punishments for the sins that we had committed against him on himself at the cross. He rose from the dead. He conquered sin in the grave. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God. And for everyone who comes to the end of themselves and places their faith instead in the perfect life, sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection of Jesus, this is the good news of the gospel. No matter what you've done, all your sins can be forgiven the righteousness of Jesus credited to your formerly guilty account. You become part of an eternal family, the family of God. You are united with Christ, selected and separated, positioned in Christ so we can make progress towards Christ. Our lives are not defined by who we used to be, but by who Christ is. Amen, church? Which means... That his compassion and his kindness and humility and patience and love will be evidenced in our community with each other. And that oneness will be preserved but because we forgive each other as Jesus has forgiven us. So here's the question I want to leave you with today and we're going to pick it up right here next week. Are we becoming who we are in Christ? When you look at verses 12, 13, and 14, does that 
describe the process and the progress that is happening in your life. And then community-wise, is that what is happening here within us collectively? Paul has more to say in the rest of this paragraph about what we put on and how that plays out in community. But I want to leave it right there. We'll pick up verse 15 next week. Just give us time as we come to the communion table today to celebrate that we've been united with Christ. We have communion with God and with each other. Are you becoming who you are in Christ? Are you becoming who Jesus has made you to be? Is Christ all and in all? Let me pray for you, uh, and then we'll uh, prepare for the communion table together. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that you have not called us to become what we are not, but you have called us to become who you have already made us to be. And so I pray that we would embrace the transformation of our identity so that there will be a transformation of our minds, our character, and actions as there is more of Jesus and less of ourselves. Thank you that we get to enjoy communion with you and with each other, not because of what we bring to the table, but because of what Jesus has done. So I pray that your mercy would be the theme of our song, the joy of our heart, and the boast of our tongue, that it would be all about Jesus and nothing about us. Thank you for what you've done and what you're doing and for the opportunity that we have to worship you through the taking of communion. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.